On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. This week on Crime World, there was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World wherever you get your podcasts. Almost every day now, we're seeing the immigration crisis from a different angle. Now, there's apparently unvetted migrants, males coming into the town. Nobody was told who they are, what they are. They're supposed to go to Ballinslow and they're coming here now. Gardaí investigating a fire at a building in Ringsend in Dublin that was due to be used as emergency accommodation for homeless families are treating it as suspected arson. My understanding is that 14 people um, have been found uh, in a container, in a truck, uh, in Rossdale, your report. All these fellas, all men, don't plan else Well, should, Ar- should, Ar- okay? should Ireland continue to accept people looking for asylum? I think at this stage, to be very honest with you, I think no, we shouldn't. The inn is full. Now firmly on the political agenda, the debate is only likely to get more divisive. Please, nobody call us racist or far right. We're not racist. And we're not far right, we're concerned mothers and fathers. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Philip Ryan, political editor with the Irish Independent, to discuss whether immigration could shape our upcoming elections. Philip, the story of 14 asylum seekers, including two children who arrived inside a fridge container at Rosslare Port this week, obviously got a lot of front page headlines and many on social media were using that to argue that this was proof that Ireland is suffering an influx of migrants in this fashion. It's not something new though, is it? It's certainly not a new phenomenon, Kevin. Uh, This is something that we've seen over the years. There has been fairly stark cases where people have died. We've had cases ourselves here in Ireland. There's been further tragic cases in Essex in England, uh, which involve people from Northern Ireland. Okay, are they breathing? I don't think so. They're not breathing? Don't think so, no. How many approximately? Uh, The trailer's jammed. Uh, I don't know. Tell me approximately how many patients? Uh, 
25. 25 patients not breathing. Yeah, yeah. So it, it is not a new phenomenon. It is something that's probably happening every day. There's a lot of incidents when people aren't found. Um, there's the, the tragic incidents when people die, but there's, there's plenty of incidents when people do come here. Uh, they use whatever means they can, and uh, they're, they're obviously also criminals who prey on people in these circumstances and charge them money to, to transfer them like this across borders. Now, obviously, as I say, some people are using this as an example of why Ireland is what they would call open for abuse in this way. You also have to look at it, Philip, that if 14 people, if if presumably a mother or father was willing to put children into that truck to risk their lives to get here, they can't have left something that easy. Like there's this idea that they're all economic migrants alone. What's the government's take on what happened in Rosslare in the last couple of days? Well, look, it's obviously an incident that doesn't help their cause when they're trying to tackle a very divisive immigration debate. But I think it's uh, Leo Radker said before Christmas in the Doyle that the reality is that Europe is seen as a paradise uh, to people living under certain regimes uh, or in certain uh, climates in certain countries, that, that it is a paradise. And that's why they go to these sort of means to get here. But the regime that meets someone who comes off a container or off a flight without any documentation, it's not exactly paradise, is it? I mean, you, you go through processing, you probably end up somewhere like City West. You could be facing years in direct provision. Yeah, you certainly could. But at the same time, you're not being persecuted for your, your gender, your sexuality. The, the People are escaping these regimes because they don't feel safe. They don't believe their families are safe. They believe that they are going to, to come to a place, a rules-based um, country like Ireland, where human rights are recognized, where people aren't treated in the same way that they would be in other countries. That's why people do this. They're not coming here because... Um, they're living in some paradise themselves. It's certainly, um, they are jumping out of the frying pan and hoping it, it is not a fire. I think something that often gets lost in the debate is the difference between an asylum seeker and a refugee, Philip. We gave Ukrainians refugee status, which allows them more entitlements around work um, and residency staying here. For, um, they are allowed to stay. Whereas an asylum seeker, has a shadow over them in that they are a seeker of asylum. So they are being judged, if you like. They are being vetted while they are here to see if their cases stand up. Can anyone apply for asylum in Ireland? Well, anybody can apply. Like you say, you have to prove, you, you have to show that you're, you are coming here because you are unsafe and have a threat against you in another country. Like I said earlier, whether it be for your gender, religion, sexuality, there's a, a myriad of reasons why you might want to flee uh, the country you were born in or are living in. And, and you come here, you apply for your status. It is notoriously long process in this country and the various governments have promised to, to shorten the process but haven't managed to do it to any significant significant degree. And, and that is a continued problem in trying to process people. And there's also the issue of how many people actually um, leave when they're told, look, we're not going to grant you asylum. We, we don't feel that you've made a strong enough case and you, you should just essentially go back to where you come from. So the figures show that there's not a huge amount of people that, that are asked to go back. And then there is the, the situation around 
enforcement of this? Are people sought out and looked for when they're told they're not being granted asylum and brought back? And what are the conditions there and what are the procedures there? Are they actually being implemented as they should be? So look, there, there is a process there. It's not fun for anybody to go through this. You know, it's not a holiday camp living out in City West in cramped accommodations with partitions between you and the next person who's seeking accommodation. Like, like that's the reality of it. And which speaks to, again, if you're going to put yourself through that, you're obviously coming from something that wasn't great in the first instance. The Sunday Independent Ireland Thinks poll at the weekend suggested that 25% of people think immigration is going to be their big hot topic as we head into a year of elections, Philip. How has that happened? Because go back 12 months, it wasn't really on the radar of the ordinary punter at all. Well, the top issue in that poll, I believe, was housing. So that is coupled with the immigration issue. And the two go side by side because the reality is there is no accommodation to house people who come here. There's a a huge problem and has been for almost a decade now in housing people who live here presently and and housing people who have come here to work with visas and who are... uh, permitted to work here. We have people flying in from all over the world in our huge tech and financial sectors, and they're struggling to to find accommodation. So the, the, the accommodation and the immigration issue, they really sit side by side. And if there is a situation where we did have a significant or adequate accommodation for to house everybody, you might see that immigration fears lesson quite significantly. But the reality is, at the moment, we just don't have that. And that's why both issues are going to stand side by side in the election. I'm here since 10 to 10 this morning. They came to St. Bridget's this morning, a trailer load with sleeping bags and big massive quilts down to St. Bridget's there today. Got 150 quilts at least on sleeping bags, all brand new. They don't give that to the homeless here in Ireland. Let me ask you this then, as... as someone who spends a lot of time around Leinster House, is immigration a cause of the housing crisis or a symptom of the housing crisis, the the problem we have with immigration at the moment? Well, maybe it's a kind of a circular argument there because... The, the housing crisis was certainly there long before the immigration crisis. You would certainly think that the immigration crisis is exacerbating the, the housing crisis. So they, they go kind of hand in glove at the moment. If there wasn't a huge immigration crisis, you'd also wonder, would the government have would have put the effort into the various and different strategies and schemes they've put in place to create accommodation here, there and everywhere, whether it's converting uh, music festivals into tented communities or changing local uh, hotels and abandoned buildings into centres that can be used to house refugees. So the question always was and and has been brought up sometimes in the dog, why wasn't this same sort of effort put in when the housing crisis was there initially when we, we had all these problems? Now, in a lot of the accommodation that has been built and put forward, I don't. I don't think it would have caused a lot of concerns for people if they were going like, "Look, this is the the solution to the homeless crisis." Is this renovated nunnery down in the the back arse of who knows where? But the, the the reality is, like I said, it's the accommodation crisis is certainly exacerbated by the immigration crisis, but it's certainly not the the initial cause of it. You've touched on something there, the renovated nunnery, as you call it, but it could be a hotel, it could be an old school, it could be an old scout building, whatever it is, in rural Ireland. And people arriving 
to be housed in those settings that I guess we would see as substandard, but it is an emergency. That has led to the public demonstrations, Phillips. We've seen the protests in places like Mayo, in Galway, in Carlow this week as well. It is becoming a big local political issue. Can I ask you a question about what's going on in the building? Can you guarantee the people of Ballinrobe that it's women and children only in here? Can you give us any proof? Can you give us any proof and documentation, yeah? So there is the national policy of the government, but now it has become this issue where local councillors are feeling that they have to stand by local people, even if that puts them on the wrong side of history. Well, the wrong side of history um, is yet to be seen. History will be written in some time. But they certainly have to stand by the people who elected them. And they'll certainly be standing uh, as close as they can to those people with the elections just a few months away. And it is a huge difficulty for the political parties because the, at one hand, you have the, the national strategy and the national policies of the likes of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and others. And then on the other side, you have the, the, the parties themselves want to get their councillors re-elected, want to hold seats on local government where they can make decisions and have an impact, whether it be on the housing or the immigration crisis. They want that, their influence there. So what do you do? Do you tell the councillors to take a position that their their local electorate will um, turn their back on them over, or do you get them to, to to sit side by side with their with their local electorate and fight on the behalf of the campaigns they want? Are your party councillors who object to implementing government policy then going to be disciplined? Um, we we look we we allow our councillors a lot of leeway when it comes to how they deal with local issues. Um, Certainly what we won't tolerate uh, is any form of racism, uh, any form of misinformation. Now, look, it, it is a very tricky scenario for the politicians at a national and a local level. The, and the, the, the urban-rural divide on this immigration crisis is becoming extremely acute. And it, it, to understand that is, and, and I know you grew up in the country and I grew up in uh, rural Ireland as well, that there is a kind of a quid pro quo with living in a rural community in that you don't have the services and you don't have the infrastructure of a, an urban environment, let's say, or a city environment. But you do have that smaller community feel where everybody knows each other. You also accept that you don't have the services that you have because there's less people. So you're all dependent on the one doctor, the one school, the one uh, pub, I don't know, whatever you're you're relying on. Um, so th- th- there is that side of it as well. And, and, and they're kind of reasonable fears for people who have been living in these environments for all their lives. Or are they kind of nervous about an influx of significant amount of people? Okay, that's fair enough. But then you have the situation, uh, for example, in Roscahill in Galway, where two Fianna Fáil councillors in particular were very outspoken, went entirely against government policy. If you're going to move 70 young males into a remote area like that, it is going to instill a certain amount of fear into the local people. What are you frightened of? What are they frightened of? You, you said that it will instill fear. What are you frightened of? It is... That's, well, we don't know. It's the fear of the unknown. Well, is what you, I'm te- you, tell me, you tell me that it will instill fear. What are you frightened of? One of them has spoken about um, Gardy searching his home and how he won't be cooperating with them. He's effectively alleged political policing. How are the main party leaders supposed to deal with that? And are there any consequences for these councillors if they speak out? Well, it goes back to what we were talking about in trying to balance the local and national interests of political parties. Now, Fianna Fáil has said that they are looking in, they're holding some forms of committees and investigation into the comments that were made by these two councillors down in Galway. And 
the language, like you said, that was being used was quite divisive. Uh, you, you'd wonder if that was necessary. What they're afraid of is that there may be some antisocial behaviour coming from a group of, of male or young men being isolated in, in an area like this. What evidence is that you have to be scared of that? No, should Ireland, should Ireland continue to accept people looking for asylum? I think at this stage, to be very honest with you, I think no, we shouldn't. The inn is full. So that's a, another balancing act to, to take into consideration. But like we just said, do they, does Fianna Fáil want these councillors to be re-elected when the country goes to the poll, polls later this year? Um, and if they're to turn to them and say, like, look, you have to go against those people who elected you now and tell them they have to put up with whatever we're telling them they have to put up with, that's going to make it for a tricky scenario as well. And it could also push those very same voters into the hands of politicians with, with less less scruples, let's say, than our more established parties who want to antagonise this debate and who want to, to make um, political careers out of stoking fears around migration. Which party, Philip, has the biggest problem in managing the local troops, if you know what I mean? I feel like the Green Party, who controls the Department of Immigration with Roderick O'Gorman as minister, um, are okay. They, they, they're councillors and their candidates are all on board. But what about Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Sinn Féin? Which of them has the biggest problem? I think the problem is is as difficult for all three, really. I think all of them have the difficulty of trying to balance that local and national politics on this issue of immigration. Perhaps it's easier for Sinn Féin in one way because they don't have that many councillors on the ground already who are um, being forced to, to, to make a choice between following the national policy and the local concerns. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael did okay in the last elections. They they have control of a lot of councils around the country. Sinn Féin performed disastrously in, in the last elections. And we've also seen a huge shift in Sinn Féin's um, migration policy. Mary Lou MacDonald is talking about listening to the concerns of people now when she would have been talking about welcoming mi- migrants. And it's not so long ago she, w- she wanted the government to introduce a scheme where the all asylum seekers would have the same benefits as uh, Ukrainian asylum seekers in that they would have been entitled to full welfare benefits and the likes. Now, I don't think you'd get her to say that again um, if you were to ask her. But I, I, I do feel that it is probably a disadvantage at this stage to have sitting councillors who have to make that choice rather than having areas of the country where you don't have someone and you can put forward a new proposal. And it's always easier in opposition. And so who stands to gain in the local elections? Independence would seem like the obvious. Yeah, independence do. And you, you do also have this party that has been established. Um, it started up anyway with Michael Collins in Cork and Richard O'Donoghue in Limerick trying to, to band together to find independent candidates to run on issues like around immigration, like to do with rural issues in communities, to offer themselves, as they said, as Michael Collins said himself, as an alternative to Sinn Féin. So you're, you're dissatisfied with the parties of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, the Greens, obviously would be a big issue for a lot of rural voters. Um, but you're, not, you're still a bit concerned and a bit worried about what exactly Sinn Féin are and what they would do in government given their first tryout. So like that, that, that is an issue. Uh, and this party, much like the Independent Alliance did not so long ago, um, came forward and took advantage of that gap in the market for people who didn't really want to, to welcome Sinn Féin into government and were, were kind of sick of the established political parties. There are a lot of what are often termed 
people with far right ideology running as independent candidates, not linked to the the sitting TDs you mentioned there necessarily, but running on their own platforms and that platform largely being X or Twitter, to be fair. Do you think many of them will actually find their way into local councils after June? Yeah, it's a hard one to call. Up until now, they had like the votes that they get have been minuscule, kind of embarrassing, really, to, that you would bother printing off posters to put them up for a handful of votes. Um, whether those are the policies that people want in their political parties, I, I really don't think so. I think when you delve into what some of these people say, beyond just talking about, oh, there's concerns about moving migrants into this rural village, that they might go, oh, this isn't exactly what I want. I'm maybe on this one issue, but moving beyond that and the more kind of hate-filled rhetoric that they would have when you're talking about, the, like even it's like mirroring some of the Trump stuff about kind of infecting the the blood of Irish society type of stuff, um, that, that people would be, be scared away from that, that they don't want to, that type of um, politician really running the country or having any influence in, in how the country would come. At least I hope so. Um, but look, it, it's going to be a very interesting election. It, it's going to lead, as every election has done over the last, let's say, 15 years, is going to lead to a more fractured um, political landscape where you have various and many different parties representing all sorts of different viewpoints and needs. And we've seen this across Europe, a lot of parliaments. The coalition is where it's at. It's how parties are made up. And that that is going to be the reality from now on, whether it be on local authorities or whether it be in a national government. It's just going to be very diverse, very fractured type of political landscape with various and many different political parties and individuals involved. What about the government's ability on the broader question, Philip, elections aside, to actually communicate to people the facts of what is happening here? Because there is swirls and swirls of misinformation. The government, I won't say they won plaudits, but there was acknowledgement that they communicated pretty effectively during COVID and in keeping people up to date on the situations and the endless statements of the Taoiseach uh, walking down the steps of government buildings, the ad campaigns. It strikes me they're spending money telling us to pay our TV license, using TV ads and radio ads to pay our TV license. I haven't seen anything that has told me anything about the migration issue in recent months. Yeah, look, there has been some rumblings within government. Um, I've spoken to ministers and advisors who've said like that there should be something like that. There should be... Uh, weekly, if not daily, updates on, on, on where they are going with this, what is happening, who's coming in, what communities are going to be impacted, uh, show that uh, the, the, the burden has been shouldered across the country, rather than individual communities feeling that they are being targeted because there's a hotel sitting there dormant in the, the back end of their, their town or, or wherever they are based, and that there should be a, a constant feed of information, that, that people are feel that they're on board with this, that they feel that they're part of the decision-making process, that it is not just being lumped on them. But I think more information, the better. Um, at the same time, though, there's going to be communities, if you tell them in advance, is that going to make it better? Are they going to turn around and go, oh, that's great. Um, those 50 lads are coming down to, to live in the, the hotel beside us here now. At, at least you told us, so now I'm not against it. I don't think so. I think if you find out there's going to be communities that are just against it in the first place, no matter what. So look, it, the, the ball is in motion on this stuff now. And um, we're getting into a very, uh, I suppose, divisive stage of the debate. And it, it's hard to know 
how they can pull it back. Rodrigo Gorman's plan and the government's plan to create these uh, essentially um, massive migrant camps around the country over the coming years uh, where people will be housed. I can't see people being overly enthused if if one of those are going to be built down beside them as well, because we're talking about hundreds of people being put in these camps, um, like we've seen in other places in Europe or like we've seen in England at the moment. Is a local community going to be happier with that beside them rather than the, the local B&B being used to, to house a, a handful of migrants? So look, big decisions to be made and uh, a lot of debate to be had over the year and beyond. My thanks to Philip Ryan. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Ian Doyle, with sound by John Smith. Archived clips were from RTE News, ITV News, Virgin Media News, and the Irish Independent. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time a mon irok the yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. Vientalam againom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.